Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, La Show, Al Franken, Rachel Maddow, and On the Media. First of all, I love this piece of news because I knew it! I knew it! And finally it's confirmed. Peter Galbraith uh, was the, our former ambassador to Croatia. He, uh, of course, was uh, also uh, working with George W. Bush, and he's one of these same guys that you know has come out uh, with internal news from the Bush administration. And he was he was Bush's ambassador. Mm-hmm. It's not like a Clinton ambassador. This is not some uh, softy. This is a this is a tough as nails Bush guy. Right. Yeah, please. First of all, he's written a new book. Uh, him and eight thousand other people saying what a disaster Iraq was. How come? I you see. I keep going back to this. We got eighty neoconservatives in the whole country, in a country of nearly three hundred million people, and you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people working inside the government. And these 80 guys overpowered all of the rest of them. And they still are. And that's the scariest thing. And that's coming up later in the show, too. Uh, a piece by Sidney Blumenthal that Blumenthal put the fear of God in me. Puts the f- f- fear of God in, <laughs> in it. So anyway, what does uh, Ambassador Galbraith say? First of all, his new book is called The End of Iraq, How American Incompetence Created a War Without End. And he, the most interesting part of the book is this. He says two months before the Iraq invasion. Two months before the invasion. January of of 03. So that's not just two months after the Iraq invasion, but it's 16 months after we were attacked by 19 Muslims on September 11th. And it is also a year after his axis of evil speech. Galbraith was in the room. Two of the countries are Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. I would like to point that out. Iran and Iraq. They were in the room. And Bush met with uh, three Iraqis about the Iraq war. And Bush said, what's the difference between a Shiite and a Sunni? He did not have any idea what those two different sects of Islam was. He was thrown by being asked what a Shiite is rather than a Shia. Right, yeah. He was like, Shiite, that's dirty. (laughs) I know what a Shia is. Um, Shia. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know... It's it's both remarkable and obvious. I mean, who is actually amazed by this type of? I'm not saying we should make a big deal out of it, but of course he didn't. No, 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 no. This is this is not a small thing. <laughs> this is a big, big thing. Let me read you one more quote here from uh, a raw story piece on uh, the revelations from the new book. Galbraith reports that three of them spent some time explaining to Bush, the Iraqis did, that there are two different sects in Islam, to which the president allegedly responded, I thought the Iraqis were Muslims. No way. <laughs> That's in the book. Yeah, no, I know. I thought the Iraqis were Muslims. That's the big, uh, th- that's the one that really surprises you. I was sure he didn't know the difference between Sunnis and Shiites. Look, I didn't know until I went to college. <laughs> Uh, and uh, my incredibly conservative uh, uh, current events history class, which I took, uh, he, he explained it to me, uh, as he did to the whole class. It was fascinating. All right, I, was, I, I, was no, I, I got to unleash. We cared back then? Yeah. 
Oh. It was called. It was, of course, called Understanding International News. We had to read the New York Times every day and the Economist every week. I didn't realize we cared until after 2001. I didn't even subscribe to the Economist. I made no effort in that regard. Who does? The other people in the class. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, I got to unleash hell here. This is unbelievable. If you don't know the difference between the Sunnis and the Shias, even to this day, you're you know you're living in a box. But whatever, it depends on what your job is. You don't have to know. No, no, if I, you I, don't. If you didn't know two months before the Iraq invasion, difference between a Sunni and a Shiite, welcome to the world. The rest of America didn't know. But you're not. This guy's not a plumber. Okay, he's not a fucking plumber. He's the president of the United States of America that's about to start a war with this country. And he doesn't even know what the hell their religion is. You think that that religion might be a little relevant to what's going to happen in Iraq? Do you think that there's some chance that it's going to be relevant that you got Sunnis and Shiites and they're both Muslims and they're from a different sect than our president is so unbelievably, blindingly stupid and ignorant that he doesn't even know the difference between the two. And he says something like this. I thought the Iraqis were Muslims. When they're trying to explain to them, they are Muslims. There's two different sects, like Shia and the Sunnis, and at some point, they might fight each other. And you're... And people wonder why this president was blindsided by an insurgency and by a civil war in Iraq? We have a blithering idiot for a president the man needs to be impeached he he doesn't learn anything he learned from this he didn't learn from this now he's saying about starting a war with iran and syria we got to get him out we got to get him out we got to get him out we can't wait anymore god knows what this idiot can do next but i know i know because i read the sydney blumenthal piece they're going after iran and syria Look, are they going to be able to succeed? Maybe the generals who are smarter than him will draw the line and say, we will all resign if you order this, Mr. President. But that is an extraordinary act of courage, and that is almost our last hope. Because Condoleezza Rice has fumbled it away. She's been beaten inside the administration, the latest we're hearing. And the neocons are on the march. And they're now using the NSA to get intelligence, United States secret intelligence, it's been authorized by the fool, George Bush, and given it to Israel on supply lines for uh, Hezbollah. So they're giving that information over, and as they give it over, the neocons in the administration are encouraging Israel, hey, we're going to give you this information, but we really hope you bomb Syria and Iran and draw us into a bigger war. You think it's over? It's not over. And after that, we're going to find out a couple of years later, he's going to say, huh, Iranians are mainly Shiites? I didn't know that. Huh, I thought they were Muslims. You got to, we, we got to get him out. We got to get him out. He's the most dangerous man who's ever held office in America. Well, we're not getting him out. Well, I do something. Because this is, this can't stand. This can't stand. He's out in a year and a half. That's all we have. Yeah, that's two what and more half. damage can he do in a year and a half? Two and a half. Look, it's an two and a half? It's an important distinction. It's only 2006. <laughs> I'd just like to point that out. Yeah, but, I mean, really, two and a half. we vote him out in 2008, so we really have to only get through 2007. No. 2006, almost over. It's 2000. It's two and, it's two okay, and a half. please stop. Okay, the last... Two and a half? Just stop, okay? It's like two. Two years. Okay, who cares? The le- na- last two years don't matter at all, because you're either going to be in the middle of a war that we have no end to, and all these same guys, all the right guys who are inside the administration, who are writing the books, writing the essays. Uh, Brent Scorecroft just wrote something, a uh, former National Security Advisor to 
President Bush. All of them are saying the same thing. You have no idea what you're starting if you start a war with Iran and Syria. You have no idea. And they're literally right. Bush has no idea. Now, it, the, next, the last two years of the administration is irrelevant because it's either going to sputter into irrelevance and total ineffectual incompetence, and then we're going to have to clean up the mess, or we're already going to be in the middle of a gigantic, terrible war to which there is no end. The next six months are what is absolutely critical. Maybe the next six weeks is what's absolutely critical because therein is where where this simpleton is going to make the the decider is going to make the decision whether we broaden this war or we somehow come to some sort of ceasefire uh, between Israel and Lebanon and start to work towards diplomacy and negotiation instead. God help us all. A short trip, the music's for the sad man. Can you imagine when this race is won? Turn our golden faces into the sun. Raising our leaders, we're getting in tune. The music's played by the, the madman. Forever young, I want to be forever young. The Washington Post back in the States began a multi part series this weekend. Tellingly entitled, Fiasco. I wish I had Echo here. Let me try it. Fiasco! Oh, oh, oh. No, it doesn't work. Fiasco is the title of their series about, guess guess what war in, in what Iraq? Fiasco, ladies and gentlemen. $450 billion for a war that the... There's strong evidence, this is, I'm quoting from the first article in the series now. There's strong evidence based on a review of thousands of military documents and hundreds of interviews with military personnel that the U.S. approach to pacifying Iraq in the months after Hussein fell, he's still falling apparently this weekend, helped spur the insurgency and made it bigger and stronger than it might have been. The very setup of the U.S. presence, I'm quoting, the very setup of the U.S. presence in Iraq undercut the mission. The chain of command was hazy. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the few indubitable arrows in the resume quiver of the president is that he's got an MB from uh, MBA from Harvard, Master of Business Administration. The chain of command in Iraq was hazy. Wouldn't that be one thing you could, with no one individual in charge of the overall American effort in Iraq, a structure that led to frequent clashes between military and civilian? officials. When uh, L. Paul Bremer, the chief of the Coalition Provisional Authority, issued his first order about three years ago, the debathification of Iraq society, the CIA station chief in Baghdad warned him against the radical move, saying, quote, by nightfall, you'll have driven 30 to 50,000 Baathists underground, and in six months, you'll really regret this, unquote. Bremer's order along with a second that dissolved the Iraqi military and national police, created a class of disenfranchised, threatened leaders. Then there's the U.S. Army's interactions with the civilian population. Based on its experience in Bosnia and Kosovo, the Army thought it could prevail through presence, that is, soldiers demonstrating to Iraqis that they are in the area, mainly by patrolling. 
We've got that habit that carries over from the Balkans, one Army general said. Back then, the U.S. military jargon for this was boots on the ground, or the presence mission. There's no formal doctrinal basis for this in Army manuals and training that prepare the military for its operations. But the notion crept into the vocabularies. The flaw in this approach, according to Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Holshek, a civil affairs officer, was that after Iraqi public opinion began to turn against the Americans and see them as occupiers, then the presence of troops becomes counterproductive. Few U.S. soldiers seem to understand the centrality of Iraqi pride and the humiliation Iraqi men felt in being overseen by this Western army. Foot patrols in Baghdad were greeted during this time with solemn waves from old men and cheers from children, but with baleful stares from many young Iraqi men. Says Colonel Robert Killebrew, a veteran of Special Forces in the Vietnam War, when you're facing a counterinsurgency, if you get the strategy right, you can get the tactics wrong, and eventually you'll get the tactics right. If you get the strategy wrong and the tactics right at the start, you can refine the tactics forever, but you still lose the war. That's basically what we did in Vietnam. For the first 20 months or so of the American occupation in Iraq, it was what the U.S. military would do there as well. Quote, what you are seeing here is an unconventional war fought conventionally, unquote, a special forces lieutenant gloomily remarking one day in Baghdad as the violence intensified. The tactics the regular troops were using, he added, sometimes subverted American goals. Then, there's intelligence. On the morning of April 14, 2003, Captain William Pont, an officer in the Human Intelligence Effects Coordination Cell at top military headquarters in Iraq, sent a memo to subordinates asking what interro- interrogation techniques they would like to use. The gloves are coming off regarding these detain- detainees, he said. The 4th Infantry's Division's intelligence operation responded three days later with suggestions that captives be hit with closed fists and subjected to low-voltage electrocution. Unquote. A series, ongoing series called Fiasco in the Washington Post. But a half trillion dollar fiasco, ladies and gentlemen. No, no nickel dime fiasco. And finally, checking out the war on terror on this lovely weekend, the Bush administration and Congress have slashed millions of dollars from military aid to African nations in recent years. Moves that Pentagon officials and senior military commanders say undermine American efforts to combat terrorist threats in Africa and to counter expanding Chinese influence there. Washington has shut down Pentagon programs to train and equip military in a handful of African nations because they've declined to sign statements exempting American troops from the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court in The Hague. The policy designed to protect American troops from prosecution if they should ever do something, oh, you know, like electrocute detainees has instead angered senior military officials who say the cuts in military aid are short-sighted and have weakened counterterrorism efforts in places where the threat of international terrorism is said to be most acute. Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen. So that's our little survey. The war on terror. We're, we're getting our money's worth and then some. I, you know what I say? I say spend another half trillion and we'll get it right. Or we'll spend another half trillion.
So he wore the suit, and it didn't, but it didn't stop him from saying something really, I just think, kind of stupid uh, about Iraq. Um, and, and this is about whether they're slipping into a civil war, as General Abizade and General Pace suggested they might be doing. And now General Casey said today that the biggest threat in Iraq is, is the threat of civil war. Okay, so uh, so that's something that you'd think the president would take. Casey's seriously. in charge of Iraq. Abizade yeah. in charge of Iraq and Afghanistan. Pace, the in uh, charge chairman, of everything, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, all saying that there is a very good, there's a chance that that Iraq will be slip into a sectarian civil war. And here is Bush yesterday from uh, his press conference. You know, I hear people say, "Well, civil war, this civil war, that." The Iraqi people decided against civil war when they went to the ballot box. Okay, a few things here. First of all, the Iraqi people voted totally along sectarian lines. That was, that was totally it, which should have said something to somebody. But this was not good news. Okay. Secondly, we've looked at the ballots, and the civil war actually was not on the ballot. It didn't get enough signatures. <laughs> if it had been... Well, uh, <laughs> it might have come in first. Yeah. Um, if it had been, this is uh, the deal in the Constitution. To vote for a civil war, you need two-thirds of the provinces to agree to a civil war. I don't know why they would even put that in the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> also, and finally, the United, our civil war started <laughs> in 1861, not long after the election of Abraham Lincoln. In fact, it was the perfectly democratic election of Lincoln that caused South Carolina to secede. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The democratic election caused the civil war here. Yeah. Now, when Bush says, you know, I hear people say, well, civil war this, civil war that, who, who do you think he's talking about? His generals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Oh, that's dumb. Hey, hey, let's play O'Reilly playing uh, doing dumb. Hang on. Last night on his talking point memo, O'Reilly gave another one of his uh, you know sweeping geopolitical analyses. In this instance, explaining the connection between Iraq and Lebanon, and he was talking again about how Bush haters just want us to lose the war in Iraq by withdrawing, and how that would be a disaster uh, because it would give Iran a friendly country on its border in Iraq, as if that hasn't already happened. And here's what he said. Iran will also train and fund terrorists based inside Iraq, like Saddam did, in effect setting up another Taliban situation. <laughs> okay, <laughs> play that again. Iran is the first word. Iran will also train and fund terrorists based inside Iraq, like Saddam did, in effect setting up another Taliban situation. Okay, is it fair and balanced to change history? Saddam did not fund and train terrorists inside Iraq. The Taliban, of course, were and unfortunately still are in Afghanistan. They don't run the country, but they're they're active.
Don Rumsfeld today asked, "Is the country closer to is is the country of Iraq closer to a civil war?" Rumsfeld. Oh, and you can just hear him. I'm going to read it plainly, but you can hear Rumsfeld how he would have said, "Oh, I don't know." You know, I thought about that last night and just musing over the words, the phrase, and what constitutes what it, what it constitutes. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just words. Musing. I was just. I was thinking about that last night. Well, continue with that quote. Do you have the rest of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, he says, uh, if you think our civil war, this is really very different. You think of civil wars in other countries, it's really quite different. There is there's a good deal of violence in Baghdad and two or three other provinces. Yet in 14 other province, provinces, there's very little violence or, or, numbers of incidents, or numbers of incidents. So it's a, it's a highly concentrated thing. It's clearly being sim, uh, stimulated by people who would like to have what could be characterized as a civil war and win it. But I'm not going to be the one to decide if when or at all. Well, first of all, you are the Secretary of Defense. I don't need your musings. I need you to act to stop that civil war. And, oh, well, I was having a trifling musing last night about whether really what we could call it. Well, how about you have a musing about how to stop it and to get a sense of what it is so that you could begin to understand the scope of the problem, which you obviously don't have. And he's like, well, when you think about our civil war, it's not quite like that. Really? You don't say. Our civil war that happened in the mid-1800s is similar to the civil war that's happening in Baghdad, Iraq right now. Huh. Why? Well, quite a little thing you came up with in your amusing. Yeah, yes, a, yeah, they're not wearing gray outfits and blue outfits. You know, in our civil war, uh, they would uh, they would line up and they would uh, in two columns, and then the guys in front would kneel, and the guys behind, and they would all shoot, and then they would walk up forward twenty yards while the other people shot at them. That's not happening in Iraq, Jack. Yeah. Well, you know, there was no I- I- improvised explosive devices at Gettysburg, so I guess this can't be a civil war. <laughs> what a dumbass. I mean, this guy is grossly incompetent. I mean, look at the mess he started in Iraq. And now these guys want to bring more uh, air power and, and eventually ground troops uh, to, will have to get involved to Iran and Syria. No, first of all, if I was the, the government, I mean, look, I think if you're the American people, you say to, to President Bush, and if you're Congress, but ha ha, let's see yeah. But your, your congressmen are supposed to represent you. Your senators are supposed to represent you. If I was them, I would say to, uh, to President Bush, well, you are not to take any further military action if, if our Secretary of Defense is Don Rumsfeld. Because obviously our Secretary of Defense is wildly incompetent. And if we're going to take military action, and you're going to put U.S. soldiers' lives on the line, even if it's just the Air Force, okay, dropping bombs. You are not allowed to do that unless you have a competent Secretary of Defense. If you have somebody who clearly cannot handle the job, I don't trust you to use our military. He's going to get him killed. He's going to get him in another civil war in Iran or Syria. Then he's going to have a musing late at night and go, hmm, well, I was thinking about it. And it's not quite like the French Civil War. And so I thought perhaps the grotesque mess we've created in Damascus is not so bad after all. Here's what I muse about at night. Sometimes I, I call Jank and I go, you know, in Deadwood, do we think maybe that uh, Powers Booth is a worse guy than than uh, uh, than Ian McShane? Is that what we're supposed to think? Is that is he designed? To, that's the kind of thing you muse about at night, not whether the war you created and has cost between fifty and a hundred thousand lives is a civil war or not. Their priorities are so out of whack, so dangerous, it's unbelievable. And again, Rumsfeld's pals, the neocons, are the ones that are saying Connolly Rice is incompetent. 
<laughs> I would if I lived in Rumsfeld's glass house, giant glass house. I'd be a little careful about throwing rocks about incompetence because they want to get her fired so they could start more wars. And by the way, I've now also read articles about how Rumsfeld has a whole dipl uh, diplomatic uh, section in the Defense Department. The State Department is supposed to do diplomacy. But they've created what is really, of course, not a diplomatic uh, arm of the Defense Department, but an anti-diplomatic arm of the State Department, um, Defense Department. Right. And they go in and they just, whenever the State Department says something, they go into the country and they go, yeah, that's not true. And they just kind of mess things up and go, yeah, oh, no, we're not going to listen to anything. You never know. We might bomb you. And that's then they precisely leave. what was going on throughout Colin Powell's term. Uh, Colin Powell lost every significant battle there was to fight against Don Rumsfeld and the State Department, in addition, in addition to sort of completely handling uh, all intelligence matters, was essentially handling all matters of state simply by uh, exerting their power and rendering state impotent. to see what gold is worth panning for among today's top stories. Eureka! The first story on today's easily embarrassed, relatively prude Rachel Maddow show front page uh, is about something that I think is possibly boiling below the surface in Iraq politics. Something to watch for, something to get your antenna up about, and it's two new developments. Uh, the first is about civil war. The second is about foreign fighters and terrorists, okay? You, you know for months now there's been a, a back and forth in U.S. politics about whether Iraq is in civil war. It's on the brink of civil war. It's at the risk of civil war. Uh, Republican Senator Chuck Hagel this weekend said Iraq is headed to civil war. Uh, Condoleezza Rice said yesterday Iraq is not sliding into civil war. Uh, General Abizaid and General Pace last week said it's, it's possible there could be civil war in Iraq. Uh, who was the last prime minister of Iraq, says Iraq is already in civil war. A lot of people on the ground in Iraq right now. There's a McClatchy News Service article today talking about how uh, U.S. troops and regular Iraqis being interviewed by U.S. journalists there say that a civil war is already underway. Why does the terminology matter? That's what we're calling it. In Newsweek magazine today, Richard Wolf and John Barry uh, report a story that may have the key about whether or not this term is actually important. They quote one unnamed senior Bush aide who says, quote, if there's a full blown civil war, the president isn't going to allow our forces to be caught in the crossfire, end quote. This unnamed source says if Iraq is in something they're calling full blown civil war, Bush will take American troops out of Iraq. Republican Senator John Warner of the Armed Services Committee last week says if there's something called an all-out civil war in Iraq, that might even require a new vote from Congress to allow U.S. troops to stay. That's one element. Meanwhile, in the Saturday papers, we very quietly learned this weekend that they're going to do a new national intelligence estimate on Iraq. What's that? In this case, it's going to be a new assessment of foreign fighters and terrorists in Iraq who have always made up less than 5% of the total number of people fighting in Iraq, according to the U.S. military. But now they're going to do a new assessment of that. 
where I think these things are coming together is that they're going to get this new intelligence estimate to say, oh, there's no more foreign fighters. There's no more terrorists. We won the war on terror in Iraq. We killed all the terrorists and the foreign fighters. And then they will withdraw or propose withdrawing U.S. troops to just our giant embassy and our permanent bases since they don't have a mission anymore if Iraq is in civil war and there's no foreign terrorists there anymore. Just got to tell anyway. A Harris poll released last month found that despite all evidence to the contrary, an increasing percentage of Americans now believe that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction in the run-up to war. Humphrey Taylor is the chairman of the Harris Poll, and he joins us to discuss the way our brains filter facts. Humphrey, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. In a previous poll, only 35 or 36 percent of Americans continued to believe the long-since-disproved assertions that Saddam had been keeping caches of weapons of mass destruction. How do you account for the sudden resurgence in uh, the embracing of the myth? Uh, I think it's pretty clear that it went up as a result of and following the release of uh, a report, I guess it was, by uh, Senator Santorum and uh, Representative Herkstra, which essentially played up the finding of, I think, about 500 shells with traces of chemical weapons. Right. The Santorum smoking canisters were old stuff that the weapons inspectors say in no way constitutes the kind of threat that the CIA had been talking about leading up to the war. Yes, but nevertheless, the effect created by the release of that story on many, many people, listeners, readers, etc., seems to have been, aha, there were weapons of mass destruction after all. So I feel better about the fact that I supported uh, the war back in 2003. Something else uh, caught my eye in one of the blogs, which was that many Americans actually don't know the difference between Iraq and Iran and all the news about nuclear weapons in Iran and Iran's nuclear program may have added to this because that's been very much news. Again, this is speculation. We have no data on that. Nonetheless, it, it seems striking that there should be such a large spike in the belief factor. Is there any demographic breakout of the respondents that itself would explain why so many people are re-embracing the WMD's idea? We have a striking difference, first of all, between Republicans and Democrats. 74% of Republicans, but only 29% of Democrats, actually believe that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Uh, And this is part of a thing which many others have written, talked about, which is the increasing polarization in this country. And not only are the public polarized, they also tend to read and watch different media. You almost have two different nations. There are a couple of other long-since-discredited notions about Saddam's relationship, if any, to the events of September 11th uh, that were also eyebrow-raising. 
Yes, in fact, uh, we still had in this most recent poll 64% of the public, almost two-thirds, who said Saddam Hussein had strong links with al-Qaeda. And in, in last year's survey, we also had almost half, 47%, who said Saddam Hussein helped to plan and support the hijackers, and several of the hijackers who attacked the U.S. were Iraqis. That was 44%. So these are all really amazing figures, given what people believe to be the truth. There has been, as far as I know, zero evidence and even zero discussion of the notion that Iraqis were aboard those planes. And yet 44% of Americans, according to your survey, believe that they were right in the thick of things. How do you account for that level of uh, misinformation? If you were strongly supportive of the war or are strongly supportive of the war, you want to believe theories which justify the invasion of Iraq. And therefore, when presented with a statement like that, they tend to believe it. That is something that the psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Essentially, the heart trumps the mind. There's a kind of filtering process and uh, an assumption, by the way, that if the facts that you receive don't jibe with your beliefs, then the facts must be wrong. As a professional pollster, When you look at the discrepancy between what you know to be true and what the public believes, do you feel disheartened about the state of the body politic? And are you ever just fearful of just going to work that day to to find out the latest thing that the public thinks that just simply isn't true? Well, I assume that the public are human, which means that sometimes they're well-informed and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they make good judgments, sometimes they don't. So I'm not disheartened. I'm actually interested. I mean, this particular survey, when it came through, um, I felt it was important to publish it, even though I found it pretty amazing, uh, and even though I thought they were probably wrong. Publishing and making that kind of information available to people, I think, enhances the quality of debate and discussion. All right. Well, Humphrey, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Humphrey Taylor is chairman of the Harris Poll. You're wrong about virtues of Christianity And you're wrong if you agree with Sean Hannity If you think that pride is about nationality You're wrong You're wrong when you imprison people turning tricks And you're wrong about trickle-down economics If you think that punk rock doesn't mix with politics You're wrong You're wrong For hating queers And eating steers If you kill for the thrill of the hunt You're wrong About wearing fur And not hating Aunt Culture Cause she's a cunted cunt Or you're wrong If you celebrate Columbus Day Donald Rumsfeld is on the rampage, uh, verbal rampage. He's not actually winning a war or anything, God forbid. Uh, he uh, is being asked questions about um, the state of the insurgency in Iraq, and he says, no, 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 it'll be just fine. It'll be just fine. we got an audio clip first for you. Uh, this guy's so goddamn frustrating. Let's play it, and then we'll rip it apart. Afghanistan. Um, I don't know who said what about whether the Taliban are gone, but in fact, the Taliban that were running Afghanistan and ruling Afghanistan uh, were replaced 
and they were replaced by an election that took place in that country. And in terms of a government uh, or a governing entity, they were gone, and that's a fact. Are there still Taliban around? You bet. Are they occupying safe havens in Afghanistan and, and other places? A correction, in Pakistan and other places? Certainly they are. Um, does the violence, is the violence up? Yes. Is the violence tend to be up during the summer and, and spring, summer, and fall months? Yes, it does. Uh, and it tends to decline during the winter period. Is it a, does that represent failed policy? Um, I don't know. I would say not. Is the violence up in the spring, summer, and fall? Spring, summer, and fall. What? What am I? Fucking ten? Jesus Christ! The the wonderful movie Roger and Me, the Michael Moore's movie about uh, trying to see the head of Roger Smith, I think, the the head of uh, GM, and why they're closing all the plants in in Flint, which by the way they didn't do. Um, but it's a funny move, funny, funny, funny freaking movie. And 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 at one point he interviews a. A, a guy who's a, a homeless guy or a really poor guy who's selling his blood to the blood bank, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yeah, because you get like I'm improvising. I'm 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 paraphrasing. He's like, yeah, because they give you like forty dollars when you sell their or twelve dollars when you give them their blood, but it's tough because they're only open on Tuesdays, and Fridays, and Mondays, and Wednesdays, and Thursdays." <laughs> Oh, okay, great. Thanks. Well, Rami's done this before. There's the infamous quote of his where we know where the weapons of mass destruction are. They're in uh, the area around Tikrit in the north, the south, the west, and the east somewhat. <laughs> but if you don't do it north, south, east, and west, it sounds right, different. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, does the violence incre- you know, is the violence increasing? Yes. Does the violence increase in the summer? Yes. In the fall and the spring? Yes. In but the it winter, goes, it goes, declines goes, a little bit. It goes down in the winters when it's... A, Blizzard. It's cold. <laughs> they don't fight as much during the blizzards, but as soon as the snow lets up, they're back at it. Yeah. I mean, guess where else that happened? In the Civil War. In World War One. In World War Two. That's why we're making so much progress. Uh, <laughs> He's pathetic. January. That is great. That is an all-timer. Absolutely pathetic. Yes. Uh, is the violence up? Yes. In fact, it's right here. Is the violence up? Yes. Is the Taliban increasing, you know, coming back? Yes. Everything's an absolute disaster. But don't worry. In the winter months, we got them on the run. Okay. I mean, what kind of a pathetic excuse is that from our Secretary of Defense? Jesus Christ. But it only gets worse. Now we've got a video for you that you could watch at theyoungturks.com and you could hear just as well on the radio. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, challenging Rumsfeld when he's in front of the Senate. Here it is. Well, Mr. Secretary, I know you would, and I know you feel strongly about it, but there's a track record here. This is not 2002, 2003, 2004, 5, when you appeared before this committee and made many comments and presented you know, many assurances that have, frankly, proven to be unfulfilled. Senator, I don't think that's true. I have never painted a rosy picture. I've been very measured in my words, and, and you have a dickens of a time trying to find instances where I've uh, been been excessively optimistic. I understand this is tough stuff. <laughs> oh, is that right, Donnie? Hmm. Well, we didn't have much of a dickens of a time finding. Uh, my hunch is it took the the blogging world three minutes. To find uh, times that you would be optimistic and paint a rosy picture of Afghanistan and Iraq. He doesn't understand that we now live in a world where they have a a data bank of stuff that he said. All they have to do is print up uh, uh, Rumsfeld rosy. 
December 18th, 2002, our Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld. Well, it is encouraging. When Larry King asked him, what's the current situation in Afghanistan? It is encouraging. They have elected a government through the Loya Jirga process. The Taliban are gone. The Al-Qaeda are gone. Wait, wait, wait. I thought I heard somebody say today... Are there still Taliban around? You bet. You bet. <laughs> They're not just there. I'm excited about it. I thought Dece- they were gone. December 18th, 2002. The Taliban are gone. What is it? Uh, August 2nd, 2006. Are there still Taliban around? You bet. <laughs> of course. Of course. Now, February 7th, 2003. Donald Rumsfeld. It is unknowable how long that conflict, meaning the war in Iraq, will last. It could last... Six days, six weeks, I doubt six months. Yeah, but that's not a rosy picture. I never painted a rosy picture. You'd have a dickens of a time oh, trying to find he, me saying that. It, it's obvious he left off the six years. Right, yeah. You know? I doubt six months. I doubt six months. Should have been followed up with six years, but I think he got flustered. I doubt six months. He would actually say, I doubt six months, and he would say, no, I doubted six months. It's not. If it didn't take six days, probably more like six years. Yeah. This son of a bitch told us before we went to war in Iraq, he's our Secretary of Defense, that it could last six days, six weeks, but I doubt six months. Now, how long has it been? It's been nearly four years. That's right. It's been three and a half years. And this guy told us it could take six days. Why? They desperately wanted to drive us in a war. And they wanted to make it seem like it would be easy. And now he comes in front of the Senate and talks about how you would have never find an instance of me painting a rosy picture of how it would go in Iraq. Interesting. February 20th, 2003. Jared, do you have this one on audio? No? Okay. Let me read it to you. Do you expect the invasions, uh, they ask him uh, on uh, the PBS's NewsHour, Jim Lehrer asked him, do you expect the invasion, if it comes, to be welcomed by the majority of the civilian population of Iraq? Don Rumsfeld, there is no question but that they would be welcomed, referring to American forces. There is no question that they would be welcomed. Three and a half years later, do we look like we were welcomed in Iraq? Is that what it looks like? Me? If I paint a rosy picture, you'd find a, a dickens of a time trying to find a quote like that. Who says dickens of a time? Unbelievable, these guys. And now he says, oh, yeah, did we win? No. Is there a lot of violence? Yes. Is there a civil war? You bet. <laughs> but it doesn't look exactly like the civil war we had in America. Oh, mission accomplished. This is Cenk Uger from the Young Turks. This Best of the Left podcast is awesome. After listening to these clips, go to our website at theyoungturks.com. Since the cable networks refuse to put a liberal talk show on the air, we put one on the Internet. You can watch the Young Turks live every day from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And please support the show by becoming a member or purchasing Young Turks merchandise. All at theyoungturks.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, everybody. So as I record this, I am bravely wiping away a single tear and trying to put on a brave face and put on a a big fake smile while I clap, not too enthusiastically, mind you, 
as I come to terms with the fact that the world essentially is as it should be. Uh, I, although I do not know the margin of victory, I am sure that the best of the left was handily beaten in the podcast awards by the ultimate winner, which, as it turns out, is a nationally syndicated radio show that has been on the air for about three years and has been a podcast for a full year longer than I have. So, what are you going to do? I'm sure that they have, uh, you know, more listeners in one of their affiliates, uh, of which I believe there are many, uh, than I have in my entire audience. So, although I'm sure, uh, based on the emails I got, the, the support was enthusiastic, it uh, was just lacking in volume, I would say. And, uh, I mean, let's get real. It, it was, I, I, w- I was genuinely worried that I might win. And what I, I don't remember how much I, I talked about it on the show before, but if I had actually won, um, it, I, I, I made this analogy to, to a friend. I said that it would have been as though David had beaten Goliath However, in that scenario, Goliath would have not only not known that there was a fight going on at all, but that he was probably actually asleep altogether. And that's not really a fight you're going to be too uh, proud of winning. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to make that acceptance speech. It would have been very awkward. Oh, and one last thing. Did I mention that they were ranked number three at Podcast Alley? And I don't just mean for politics. I mean, like, number three of all the podcasts practically in the world. I don't know. I'm just saying. Based on those kind of numbers, I think they might be looking at a listenership in the, you know, six-digit range. Um, don't don't get me wrong. I'm getting there. Give me another year. We'll We'll see what I can do. Speaking of which, now that we're getting back into full-blown promotion mode, why don't you go ahead and check out bestoftheleftpodcast.com under the support the show section, and there's all sorts of stuff you can do that'll help me win that award next year and and show show those guys at Free Talk Live, you know, who means business. Speaking of which, you know, I think there were libertarians. I I checked them out because, you know, know thine enemy sort of thing and um you know like their radio show call in talk that sort of stuff but man libertarians they kind of those guys creep me out but anyways uh if you go to the support the show section in uh in at best of the left podcast.com uh there's all sorts of things you can do from writing reviews on itunes which by the way i haven't mentioned in a while but it, it totally worked uh, you know, quite a while ago, several months ago, I did a big drive to, to get, um, reviews on iTunes and I got myself listed in, let's get real. We got the best of left listed. I, I really, you know, when I say me, I even catch myself and I hate it because I I really do think of the show as being totally separate from, from me and, uh, and anything I might have to do with it. But anyways, 
Um, anyways, yeah, the, the iTunes, it totally worked. The best of the left, it was listed in, you know, the politics section. It was highly ranked. It was fantastic. And now, if you go in there, you can actually find it. Uh, if you click the news and politics section, because they did a little reorganization, it's actually right on the homepage. And I guarantee that's 100% because of the comments that you guys have left. So that made a huge difference. And if you, uh, you know, if, if you haven't already left a comment, it would continue to make a huge difference to continue to leave those comments. Um, plus, I know you're listening iTunes gods, I know you're there. I think you've got to be a fan of the show because uh, there's no way that I'm being treated that well just just for uh, just for the comments. Because I, I I saw in in the full rankings, I'm not really that close to the top, but uh, listed on the on on the homepage there. That's uh, that's some special treatment. So thank you for that. Um, speaking of which, iTunes gods, while I have your attention. Um, there are some people, not me yet, but there's, there's lots of, uh, strange stuff going on with iTunes and shows getting dropped and not being able to plug themselves back in. If you could take a look at that, that would be very much appreciated. I just, I speak for the entire podcasting community when we say, we like what you're doing, but... Um, you got a little ways to go before it's perfect. So we're pulling for you. That's what I'm saying. Anyways, sorry, sorry to sidetrack into that personal conversation. Uh, that was rude. Um, so besides leaving reviews at, uh, at iTunes, also voting the podcast alley does a huge amount for, for promoting the show. Uh, all of that information is available at the uh, at the website under support the show. I've been adding new things. Oh, some I've completely forgotten to mention, which I have entirely meant to mention because this is like a huge gift to you guys. That it, it was a request that came in a long time ago, and due to technical difficulties, I wasn't able to do it. But just recently, I did actually put up um, links to the full um, show's playlist. So although the shows are listed in the show notes and you can link to each one and find them in iTunes, now there's actually a link. There's one on the homepage down on the sidebar and in the support the show section, there's a link to the entire playlist and you can go to the playlist. It's all my songs. Every song I've played that is available in iTunes, you can find it on that playlist. It's fantastic. You're welcome. It it was a request that came in. It made me say, damn, that's a good idea. I should check into that. I couldn't do it before. I can do it now. So I did. It's been up for a couple of days, but now I'm actually remembering, remembering to uh, tell you about it. So there we go. Look at that. I thought I didn't have anything to talk about today. And uh, I, I, I usually, I think that just about every day, I think I don't have anything to talk about just about every day. But of course, that just means that there's a bunch of stuff I forgot to mention. So maybe I'll work on that. Anyways, there's something else I'm forgetting to mention, but I'm going to go ahead and leave it at that anyways. So I will uh, talk to you all tomorrow. Have a good one, everybody.
Hi, this is Nancy of Wake Up AM, Wake Up America podcast. Kathy, Meg, and I are proud to be members of the Progressive Podcast Network. Check out all of the great podcasts over at newmediarevolution.org. The Progressive Podcast Network. Stick a fork in the mainstream media because they're done. And if that leads to a fucking impeachment, then so fucking be it. Mm.